Good morning. If you're new, we're so glad you're here. My name is Ryan. Uh, we are at the tail end of a series called The Struggle is Real. And it's all been about the flesh, the world, and the devil. So you are coming on week 11 of that. And um, we're just glad you're here. We're finishing things up today. I uh, read an article this week by, uh, by, by a lady named Elizabeth Bird. And Elizabeth Bird um, was talking about the famous children's book called The Giving Tree. Anybody read The Giving Tree? Shel Silverstein? Now, what I didn't know was this is a controversial book. Did you know this? Raise your hand if you knew this, because then we could, yeah, a couple people, yeah, very controversial. Yeah, all the teachers raise their hand. They're like, yeah, we've been dealing with this. Um, it's the story, I'm not going to give it away, but everybody dies in the end, and I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's a story about a tree and a boy, and a tree, this tree, she loves this boy over the years. Now, Camp A believes this book. Um, it's kind of like, who are the optimists and who are the pessimists, right? Camp A believes this book is all about being the, the noble and generous self-sacrifice of the tree. Camp B believes this is a toxic codependency weird thing going on. And what's interesting is I'm reading this article and... Um, Elizabeth Bird saying, it can't be both. Like, you can't read this story and go, eh, I could, you know, it, it's kind of both at the same time. No, it's neither, it's one or the other. And what's interesting is, is I find our world is actually um, arguing about the giving tree. I mean, it's like we need one more thing to, like, argue about, right? But I found that interesting when she said it can't be both. Because the passage we end on today is something that Jesus actually puts in front of the disciples and says it can't be both. It can't be both the world and me. And it's a passage that comes out of Matthew chapter 16. And it starts like this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, we're going to stop there for a second because all this time, I mean, this is Matthew chapter 16, all this time, Jesus has been teaching, he's been doing miracles, he's been, I mean, just unbelievable things, and people have been following him, and he, he puts down this moment with the disciples that had to be absolutely disorienting, because their idea about what is coming next is totally different. They're good Jewish young men. A couple of them are zealots. They've come from this group of people that believe that an overthrow of Rome is what needs to be happening. 
Um, and and they all believe that the end game is God restoring the people of Israel to their land. Okay? That no longer would the people of Israel, Jerusalem, and the surrounding communities, no longer would they be subject to any foreign power, i.e. Rome. And what Jesus does is he's performing miracles and he's teaching and, and everybody's getting so excited because this is the Messiah. This could be the one. This could be the one that could, could make everything that we think happen is going to happen, happen. And so this had to be a little disorienting when Jesus said, here's the deal. We're going to head towards Jerusalem I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, and they're going to kill me. What happens next is pretty interesting. Peter took him aside. (laughs) I can imagine the scene, right? Peter's like, come here. And he takes him aside and he said, this is not going to happen. He says, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. This is not going to happen. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus actually rebukes Peter and said, No, you don't get it. The things you're saying to me are actually a stumbling block. They're actually not the plan that God has. And the reality is, is they have this different expectation of what the reality of life actually is. That what it looks like to follow Jesus is a different expectation for the disciples. And then in verse 24, Jesus says one of his most famous lines. Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple or my apprentice must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Peter uh, Peter is listening, the disciples are listening, but Jesus throws out something that can't be both. He said, if you want to be my apprentice, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, at the cross, for us, when we think of the cross, um, we have jewelry, we have all those things that we kind of romanticize the cross a little bit. Uh, For Peter and the disciples hearing that, um, was shameful and it was scandalous and it was not something. It was a humiliating criminal death. And so hearing Jesus say, take up your cross, um, he's, Peter's just like, Jesus, this is a bad idea for your mission. Like this doesn't fit with everything we've been expecting or thinking or hoping for and you're asking us to take up our cross. Basically what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die. And for many um, throughout the years, that's actually meant a literal death. Um, I mean, obviously everybody dies, but mainly what Jesus is getting at here is death through self-denial. Denying yourself. And what's the problem for us as post-enlightenment, modern, American, Western Christians is that we live in a world 
that is hyper self-fulfillment. Everything is at our fingertips. You are told, you and I are told that to deny anything, any desire that you have, is actually shameful. That's actually sinful. But to, 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 to lavish out and just follow every desire that's on your heart is the new orthodoxy, the new way of practicing being human. Heresy is to deny, to de- deny yourself. And so it's very difficult for us to perceive a happy and fulfilled life without getting the things we desire. And we live in this world that happiness and fulfillment, as we head into the holiday season, is getting all of your desires met. All of your need for uh, family and, and relationship and stuff and cars with big bows on them. Like who buys a car at Christmas and puts a bow on it? Like that would be the end of our marriage. If I like did that, right? Right, babe? Yeah. But like all the desires that are in us, we're just supposed to just pursue those. And if anybody tells us no, they are against us. They don't believe in us. They're not for us. Robert C. Roberts, let me throw this quote. We've done this quote before. I'm going to do it again. We've been led to believe that the self is sacrosanct. Just as in earlier time it was thought never fitting to deny God, now it feels never right to deny self. So the new orthodoxy of our world is follow every uh, dream and desire in your heart, every attraction, every, every lust, every passion, follow that. Denying yourself is the new heresy. So what does Jesus actually mean by deny yourself? What does he mean? Does he mean deny yourself or deny yourself? See the difference there? The self is something we've been talking about over the last number of weeks. We've been talking about what the self is. And and it's really, as a whole, you need to understand, as a whole person... Jesus, God is, is, you are the object of Jesus's love. You are God's like relentless pursuit. But there is a part of us, our self, our old self, our, our false self that is fundamentally disordered. And so the self is what we've been talking about the last number of weeks is the center point by which all the enemies of our soul kind of find their home. Whether it be deceitful ideas that the devil kind of puts into us, uh, our, our own disordered desires, or how, in a sense, our world operates, it all meets in the place where it is um, antagonistic towards who God wants us to be. And it's in that spot that Jesus wants us to die. It's the self that God, that Jesus says, this is the place that if you're going to follow me, you have to crucify it. And it's not a, you can do both thing. 
Check out Galatians 2. This is another writer. This is Paul writing to the, a number of churches in, in, uh, in the Galatian region. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He goes on a little later in the letter to explain more. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the self, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the the Spirit. So just for a little refresher... Um, the world has one category for desire. And they call that, the world calls that your authentic self. Your authentic self is that place where you dream and you want and you, 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 you have all these thoughts and desires and, and, and our world says, no, no, you got to fan that. You need to like feed that. You need to pursue that as your authentic self. Paul and Jesus, the writers of the New Testament, actually see the person, um, the self, as, as two, different per, uh, two different selves at work within us. Um, our disordered desires, you know, I just talked about the self, and they say, this is what you've got to crucify. The spiritual part, the, the, uh, you know, we talked about spiritual meaning animated by the spirit, that part we need to pursue. That's the new self. That's what Jesus would call our authentic self. Now, here's the thing. I still feel like such a beginner in all this. I still feel like, um, and, and, and it's great when I put myself around people who've been following Jesus for a while, and I can see their peace and their, their, just, um, their openness to who God is and their readiness to serve God. And it's interesting because, and I had a conversation with a, a young guy this week that was just like, I still keep... Um, I'm frustrated with myself. I'm frustrated that I keep going this direction or I keep thinking about this or I keep struggling with this and I want to do this over here. That's the two different selves at work. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is this event in our lives where we experience um, in community this idea of death to self and, and burial and then resurrection. Check out Colossians chapter 3. This is another uh, writing of Paul's to the church in Colossae. He says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, that's resurrected with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died to yourself, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Then he goes on, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Paul is saying, this is, there's a new you. That God wants you to pursue that version 
of you and put to death this old you. The old you is desire. You were, you were at the mercy of your desires, at the mercy of things that you wanted. The new you, you are at mercy to the spirit. And what you say, this idea of, okay, God, what you say, I will do. You are the master, I'm the apprentice. And what's interesting is when Jesus um, is teaching, um, Jesus, and I love Jesus because he anticipates our questions. He anticipates the things, our pushbacks, right? So verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world okay that conversation we've been having about the world yet forfeit their soul or what can someone, anyone give in exchange for their soul? The word soul there is suke. It's a Greek word. It's where we get the word psyche. Um, it, it also interchanged for the word life. So whoever wants to yet forfeit their life, forfeit their psyche, their soul, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. The key word in this passage is will. I'm going to throw verse 26 back up on the screen. What good will it be for someone to gain their whole, the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Nope, that's not the one. Let's go with 25. Sorry. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. There, this isn't a, a, there isn't a debate about the translation of the word will. Like, I looked at like eight commentaries. There's no debate. There isn't a, a translation that said should. There, there isn't a translation that said think about it, suggestion, ought to. There's like a will. This will happen. And my favorite thing about Jesus' teaching uh, style is that many times his teachings don't end in a command. But they end in kind of this um, statement about how life actually works. Okay? So think to some of the statements of Jesus. Uh, he says things like, no one can serve two masters. He doesn't say, don't serve two masters. He says, no one can really serve two masters. He says, it's better to give than receive. He said, the first will be last and the last will be first. He said, you will reap what you sow. And he said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And this is what was so fascinating about Jesus. And these aren't commands. And many of the people around him, when they would say things like this, this teacher teaches with authority. He teaches as if he knows how life actually works. He knows how this all happens. And so Jesus is saying that this is actually how life works. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. For Jesus, option A and option B are basically what we're given. 
Here's option A. Deny Jesus, follow self. The result will be, we'll lose your life. What does that mean? Uh, This is the version of life that says, I'm going to put myself on the throne. I'm going to put my desires, I'm going to put my wants, my dreams, my goals, uh, my attractions, I'm going to put all of that on the throne. And I'm going to live that way. I'm going to consume, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to... Uh, focus on me and my needs. And I'm going to do that day in and day out the rest of my life. Here's where that will lead you. Jesus says you will lose your life. What does he mean? You're going to die? That God's going to zap you? (laughs) What he means is your life will begin to slowly, the life, the passion of life will slowly begin to slip away. Meaning, you will become more unsatisfied, run by desire, in slavery of want. Your life, your body, your soul, your psyche will become disintegrated and you will lose your life. Money and sex and power, there's always a new horizon of want ahead of you. Um, And it's a long life, a long game of a carrot dangling in front of you on a stick. And Jesus says, deny me and follow self will mean you will lose your life. Option B, deny self, follow Jesus will save you life. Jesus says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I've come that you will have life to the full. But that life requires are dying. Option B is become more satisfied, more integrated, more motivated by love, free from the domination of want and desire. All that is good in your life becomes a gift. And when the ordinary life, it's like when you experience ordinary life as enough and you're not enthroning desire as a king and you're not enthroning satisfaction as king and the the whole you is integrated and at peace, mind, will, body, emotion, all of that is fully integrated. And the more we become submitted to King Jesus, the more we're set free is the idea. That putting to death those things in the self. I mean, imagine this life. I want you to maybe even just close your eyes and imagine this life. Imagine a life where you become less concerned by impressing other people. That you are at peace with yourself and with others that the tyranny of want begins to wane and you're not a slave to desire anymore and there's everything in your life is it feels like a gift like a, an absolute gift and you're fully present in every moment with God and with others and you see your friends and your enemies as objects of God's affection 
And yeah, you still suffer and you still mourn like everybody else, but there's a reason for your life and it's unshakable. Like, that's what I want. That's what I want more and more and more in my life. And the problem is, is I'm trying to follow Jesus and I'm trying to apprentice Jesus in a world flipped on its head to that. In a world that says, no, no. Option A. Option A is where it's at. Option A is just pursue yourself and your passions and all the things you want and just just hungry, hungry hippo life. Right? Anybody? Dude, hungry, hungry hippo is like the greatest game for four minutes. <laughs> With children, especially. <laughs> Option B is the long, the long vision. It's the long road. This is the invitation of Jesus. And the invitation of Jesus always begins with the cross. It always does. Before World War II, there is a um, theologian and teacher named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he wrote a book that's very heavy, and it's called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talked about in this book this idea of cheap grace, that we have this ability to try to have it both, okay? Like I shared with you before, that idea that you can't have it both, that Jesus is saying, deny self, follow me, or deny me and follow self. He says you can't do it both ways. And this is a long quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ Christ suffering which every person must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old self which is the result of their encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, apprenticeship. We surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. This is the famous line here. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had, to, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man is at his call. It's the idea behind this. Dallas Willer picked up this theme a little bit and he actually said there's actually a cost to not following Jesus. There's a cost of non-discipleship. And what's interesting is that's what Jesus talks about. There's actually a death that occurs either way. The cross is the entry point into life in the kingdom. And entrance into the kingdom is not based on your wealth. It's not based on your ethnicity, which a lot of people in Jesus's day thought Your ethnicity, your wealth, your standing, your family, any of that, your behavior, 
It's based on your willingness to come and die. It's based on your willingness to lay it down. Denying yourself is step one in an age, in a world that screams self-fulfillment. That's what following Jesus looks like. Jesus is not an add-on. He's not a Lego piece in the life that you're building. Jesus is talking about coming and dying to yourself. And here's the thing. We all have desires, things that we believe we need to be happy, things that we think we have to have or or people that we need to become. What Jesus is saying is those desires need to be edited, changed, but some of them need to die. To to deny Jesus is actually far more costly. And if we're run by our desires, that begins the hellish process. Because that is unsatisfied, that is um, unattainable, that is, it's, it's something that just never quenches. If we're ruled by anxiety, if we're ruled by our desires, if we're ruled by our lusts and our lies and our power, that's hell. And here's the thing, bailing out is actually kind of easy. Like bailing out on following Jesus is actually kind of easy. And in this day and age, it's actually kind of celebrated. I mean, there's Christian authors now that are like, I used to think this, but now I'm an atheist. And everybody's like, oh, you're so brave. And it's so, so it's kind of easy. And you get celebrated. But faithfulness is costly. And it's hard. Listen, all four Gospels have this. All four Gospels talk about Jesus, this statement to, uh, to the disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And one of them, Luke, I love this one, says daily. Luke says daily. As if to say, tomorrow morning, when you wake up, you have another decision to make. You and I have another decision to make about laying down our life, laying down ourself. Like I said before, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ is Paul's announcement to the world. Listen, what's interesting here, and this is, might get me in trouble, He did, Jesus did not die so that you would not have to die. And so often I hear this mantra in Christian Jesus died in my place. No. Man, I'm like, Dan, I see Dan like, <laughs> that's, I mean, we, that's such a broken down and cliched thing. Jesus never said, I'm going to die so you don't have to. Because guess what? You're going to die. I'm sorry to break it to you. Some of you sooner than others. That wasn't an ageist thing. That was just saying that, like, there's, it's not, it's not going to be at the same time, okay? <laughs> Easy. He died to show us how to die. Does that make sense? He didn't die in your place. I mean, yes, there's this, uh, the cross is... The cross is not just something Jesus did for us. It is. And I don't want you to think otherwise. But it's also something we do with him. He showed us how to do it. 
And so when we worship Jesus and we thank Jesus for the cross, we're actually also saying, I'm signing up for that. Following Jesus means that to me. It's not just another theory of atonement. It's actually a practice. And so at the end of this series, what's our practice? It's dying to ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, it's a thousand different ways on a thousand different days. It's going to look different Tuesday than it did yesterday. It's going to look really different on Thursday <laughs> for some <laughs> depending on what your family's like. It's going to be uh, you know what I mean? It's just going to be a thousand different ways on a thousand different days. And we do it together. And it's hard to do it by yourself. Ignatius of Loyola, he defines sin, and I love this, because I think it's really important for us, especially in the world we're living in right now. He defines sin as the unwillingness to trust that God wants for us is our deepest happiness. The unwillingness to trust God and what God wants for our deepest happiness. So the reality is this all boils down to this. Your ability to trust God and allowing him to lead you even as he leads you to a cross. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it can't be both. And so this morning as we wrap it up, um, I'm going to just throw it out there. We have no music to follow this. I want to allow this room to be what you need it to be. But maybe for the first time you're in this room and you've never really heard it like that, meaning that following Jesus means for me to lay myself down. And maybe your life has been, the last week, month, years, has been a series of self-pursuits. Um, that have burned you and hurt others. Maybe they've been self-pursuits that have left you completely empty, satisfied, and cut off from the God of the universe who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And if that's you this morning, what a great opportunity to lay yourself down. And it's what we call in the church an opportunity of forgiveness and salvation, of new birth. And maybe that's you today. And maybe you are also like me in the sense that there are places in our lives where we have yet to crucify. I read the story in the Crusades. And whatever you think of the Crusades, People call it a dark part in Christian history, and it was. But some of the history on it is a little sketch. If you want to have a longer conversation about it with me, that, that'd be great. The point I want to get to is there's a group of knights called the Knights Templar. And the Knights Templar used to get baptized in full armor, head to toe. And the story goes, the Knights Templar would get baptized with their sword out of the water. 
as if to say, God, you can have all of me except for this. Because this is what I need to do. Now, for some of us, you may have been not consciously thinking about that when you got baptized. (laughs) But there might be something you're holding out of the water. (laughs) There's a funny story about Ben's baptism, but you can ask him later. You may still be holding something out. This is not touchable. This is something I'm going to continue in. This is something I'm going to continue to find. Uh, This is my little secret self thing that God can't touch. What I'm here to tell you is that will lead to death. It will lead to death. Death of relationships. It will lead to death. So my hope is today is also an opportunity for you to maybe do business with that. And I'm going to pray.